Let's pray and we'll look at this together. Father God, your word is living and active. You have called us to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this morning would be a morning in which you encourage us to hold steadfast in our faith to him and to you. Please encourage us in our faithfulness through these words we pray. Amen. Um, Just earlier this week, Lauren and I were talking with a friend who had uh, been to Addenbrooke's Hospital and she'd visited a part of Addenbrooke's Hospital which I didn't know existed. It's called the Pain Clinic. Did you know such a thing existed? It's called the Pain Clinic. Uh, and our friend uh, was there uh, to investigate pain. We've, we have a number of friends, actually, who have a similar sort of thing, where there's pain which perhaps the doctors quite, can't quite put their finger on, they can't work it out, um, but the pain clinic um, is there to do just that, to kind of find out what's wrong. Uh, and our friend mentioned a moment of encouragement when she said, the doctor said to her, what we want to do is we want to help you on your journey through the pain clinic. And I don't know how that grabs you, but journey through the pain clinic doesn't sound like something I want to rush into. Journey through the pain clinic to me sounds like a death metal album. But, but the encouragement was, the encouragement to our friend was that the doctor had said, look, we're not just going to ping pong around and go round in circles. The idea is that you're going to go through this clinic. There's a journey. That's the encouragement. You want to journey through the pain clinic out the other end. That's the encouragement. That We're not just, we're not just um, going to be here forever. That's the outbox. You're going to come out. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. And we're back in the book of Habakkuk, um, a, a series which we've called uh, Faith in the Firing Line. And Habakkuk's oracle, or literally his burden that he's been given by God, is, if you like, to lead God's people through the pain clinic. Habakkuk's burden here, this book, is our journey through the pain clinic. For those of us whose faith is in the firing line, we saw last week that it's not just any pain, it's not just any suffering, it's suffering particularly because of injustice. Amongst God's people in Judah, there is injustice that God's people are not living rightly. Habakkuk has said it's almost as if, Lord, your word's not working. It's not producing righteousness among your people. And if anything's going to shake our faith, it's that kind of injustice. And we saw Habakkuk bringing that to the Lord, and the Lord's answer was quite surprising. God says, yeah, I know there's injustice and wickedness in my people, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring the Babylonians, who are even more wicked, And Habakkuk cannot understand this. And we need our faith to be resilient in such circumstances. We've seen in our our reading today, verse 4 of chapter 2, that the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So in the book of Habakkuk, there's a category of the righteous. It doesn't mean someone who's perfect. It means someone who is seeking to live God's ways who has trusted God, and so God has declared them righteous. They are upright living for God. And yet that sort of faith can be really rattled. And we left Habakkuk 
at the end of last week in the watchtower because he wanted another answer from God. Okay, your answer is you're going to bring Babylon, but how does that work? How does bringing wickedness to destroy and judge wickedness, how is that an answer? And we purposefully left Habakkuk last week just waiting because actually that's a really good place for us to be. Sometimes we might rush in with the answers, mightn't we, when times are tough. Because we know God is good and we want to rush in with, with that encouragement. But actually there was a note here from Habakkuk to say, look, sometimes we've just got to sit in it. Because God's ways often are just incomprehensible. And we might think, well, of course they are, because he's God. And last week we saw Habakkuk waiting but not irreverently, expectantly. So waiting on God is not wallowing before God. It's expectant. It's part of the journey. It's part one of the journey. It's not the end. We don't just keep keep waiting. And Habakkuk waits on the Lord. That's where we left him. And we find that God answers. So God has an answer for the faithful or for the righteous, both ways in which describe God's people, don't they? The righteous, who are the righteous? They're faithful. Who are the faithful? They're the ones that have faith in God and so they've been called righteous. And so there is an answer here for them. And it's brilliant because God's answer is not, here's Habakkuk waiting, he can't understand God's ways in the world. And God's answer is not, how dare you question me? and my ways. How dare you get upset with, um, with your life? No, God's answer is, is full of care and love. And we see this week, if last week we saw that resilient faith is going to be expectantly honest, this week we see that resilient faith is, is patiently steadfast. It's not shrinking back. We looked last week very briefly at Hebrews 10, which uses this passage in Hebrews to say, look, we don't shrink back, we hold the line and have faith. We keep our fidelity to to Jesus Christ, even in the tough times. You see, the need for endurance and patience in your faith, it's not an anomaly in the Christian life. If you're thinking, oh, crumbs... I'm really needing a lot of endurance here in my faith. That, that, that's it. That's, that's the deal. Nothing's gone wrong. That's not an anomaly. That is the Christian life, the need for endurance. Uh, and we'll look, at, we'll look at this idea of being patiently steadfast. Three points. Uh, the first and the third one are a bit shorter, and the second one's bigger um, in the middle. Um, but firstly, we are to be patiently steadfast in the face of Babylon's pride. Have a look down um, at verses 2 to 5. So here's God's answer. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and he will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest, because he is greedy as the grave. And like death, he's never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive 
all the peoples. So God's answer to Habakkuk is literally saying, look, make it plain, there, verse 2, on tablets. Okay, and uh, have a, just check down at the, the little footnote there. Um, it, it, it's a bit tricky to understand what's going on, so that a herald may run with it. It doesn't literally say herald. You can see that whoever reads it in your footnote may run with it. Or the original wording is, he may run who reads it. And I think the idea here is that running is the response to, to reading it. So you can take it. Here you are, Habakkuk. Here's the message. And he who reads it can run with it. Now, what, what does that mean? Perhaps it does mean something like the passing it on and proclaiming. And that's why we've got the word herald here. I can take this news from God and I can run with it. And I can tell people like a messenger would. Or it may perhaps mean just, just pass on. You can keep going with this. Write it down. Take it with you. Here's a message from God that you can run with. For your life, you can keep going. It is literally written in stone. Do you see that? God's saying it's trustworthy. My word is trustworthy. You can be steadfast and hold on to this vision. Here's a guarantee. It's written in stone. Why do we need that? Why does Habakkuk need something that's steadfast, a guarantee, written in stone that he can take with him and live with and run with. Well, the answer is in verse 3. Look, 4, there's the reason. Why write it down on that tablet? Because the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Now, that's probably not the answer that Habakkuk was, was waiting for. Up in his watchtower, God says, yes, I'm going to answer. What's the answer, Lord? Just wait. More waiting. But it's not without an end. So the patience is going to be needed. But I think God's, the tone here is caring, isn't it? Look, he, God knows. Though it linger, wait for it. You're waiting for my answer. In your time of trouble, your faith is, is shaken. You want to hold on. You don't know what I'm doing. And, and that's hard. I know, says the Lord. You're, you're sitting there thinking, how long? This seems like ages before I get an answer and God's saying look it seems like it's going to linger but but wait for it be patient it's coming and, and it won't delay I've realised we've probably used um, quite a few uh, Lord of the Rings illustrations they keep sort of popping up but in my mind this week um, was, was the first film uh, with, with the wizard Gandalf and, and Frodo the Hobbit is running to meet him and, and he says to, to Gandalf, you're late. And the wizard Gandalf, he, he looks up and he says, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. A wizard arrives precisely when he means to. Now, there's a little something of that here. That's what God's saying. Look, God is never late. It feels like it. How long? It feels like God is late. But God is saying, I'm never late. My word to you, my action in the world, arrives precisely when it means to. And I know it seems long. And that's hard in the face of pride. So did you see that there? That, that verse 4, see the enemy is puffed up. So look, here's the contrast, right? Look, I'm going to remind you of what Babylon's like. I know they're terrible and wicked. 
They are puffed up. They're inflated. They've got these insatiable desires. And, and of course that's hard. Of course we need to be patiently steadfast when, that, when, it, when the world is like that, when good things happen to bad people. When Babylon is proud, they're inflated, and they're getting away with it. This is a, a superpower that will sweep over uh, the, the world and just destroy everything in its wake. And there's injustice and wickedness. And of course, if you were to look around, you'd think, what's going on? Last year, I read a, a really disturbing statistic, if it's true, that in the UK... The most common cause of death for men under 50 is suicide. That's awful, isn't it? But that, that's the last resort, isn't it? That's the despair. That's an answer that people reach for when they say, how do I live? How do I live in a world like this? How can I live? And, and Habakkuk is saying here, look, yes, look at Babylon. They're proud. There's injustice and wickedness, and we might, we might despair. How are you to live in a world like this? Especially if God says it's his world, and where is he, and I can't see his action. Well, here it's patiently steadfast, even in the face of all of that. But it's not a, a hope and, and a patience in, in nothing at all. It's rooted in something. Because secondly, we're to be patiently steadfast, in light of the end, in light of Babylon's end. So we're to hold that line of faithfulness in God's word that won't delay. And then, says Habakkuk, look at the end. There is a certain end. Now, when we used to live in London some years ago, um, they, they began to put up in the bus stops those digital displays. We have them here, don't we? And I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it was told to me at the time that transport for London, um, you want to to have a a better, more efficient uh, transport service. Now, what could you do? You could put more buses on, couldn't you, because of of people getting frustrated and they're waiting. You could put more buses. But the story I heard was it was actually uh, more cost-effective and more psychologically effective to let people know how late the bus is going to be. So rather than put new buses on, you just put up a sign and say, yeah, there is a bus. It's going to be 17 minutes. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but apparently, psychologically, that's better. We would rather have that up there, buses coming in 12 minutes, rather than, I don't know when the bus is coming, even if there are more buses and and it's only five. There's something, isn't there, in our psyche that says, I just want to know. Just want to know the end. For what it's worth, I had a friend who worked for Transport for London who told me that an official Transport for London minute is between 30 and 90 seconds. So, you know, don't know how long 17 minutes could be. It could be 24 or whatever. But we're to be assured because, because there is an end. Babylon's wickedness will come back on them. That idea of the desire in verse 4, it's an insatiableness. Babylon just can't get enough. That's why we get that note about the wine, I think. It's a kind of an image, a picture of that wine is, is deceitful. You have a nice bit of wine, you want some more, and it'll make you want some more and some more and some more, but it'll come back round to bite you. Because that insatiableness will not end well. And God 
categorically and systematically condemns Babylon. There are five woes. So in verse 6, the image there is people looking on and going, they'll see the end. And they'll be able to say, woe. So firstly, look, um, God categorically and systematically condemns, firstly here, extortion. Verse 6, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise and will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you've plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. But you've shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. God's saying to Babylon, look, you've extorted people and you've plundered. And that's going to come back round to you and I will make sure of it, says God. Extortion. What else is Babylon up to? Verse 9, materialism. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You've plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. You make sure that you're okay, Babylon. Just pile up everything that you need and just trample on everyone else. But this is going to come back round to you. Because God sees, it's not beyond God. He knows what's going on. Verse 12 to 14. Oppression. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire and the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Exploitation. Building a city with bloodshed. But verse 13, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire? The Lord has determined it, that that insatiable appetite will never be satisfied. That's never going to be the answer. They will be unsatisfied. They will be judged. Exploitation and oppression. Uh, oppression. Verse 15. So verse 15, sorry, is exploitation. Verse 12. So the oppression, building a city on bloodshed. God sees it. Verse 15, exploitation. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it out from the wineskins until they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup of the Lord's right hand is coming to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. So God's condemned extortion, materialism, oppression, and and here, exploitation. Getting people drunk to gaze on them. You're going to get people to drink. God says, guess what's coming to you? My cup is coming to you, my cup of wrath. You're making other people drink, I'll make you drink this. It will come back round to you, Babylon. There is an end. Be patiently steadfast in light of the end. And lastly, verse 18 to 19, idolatry. Of what value is a car, is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, 
or to lifeless stone wake up? Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver and there's no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So here is a nation swapping the the true and living God for their own ideas of God. And at that time it, it was images covered in gold and silver. And they worship it and say, you're our God and you can do this. And God says, no, they're not gods at all. The actual God, the living God, he is in his holy temple and he sees. And it will be judged. And there was an end to Babylon, historically, as the Persian Empire rose up and and overtook the Babylon Empire. But really, Babylon has never really gone away, has it? Because in the Bible, Babylon ends up being a type or a picture of the world against God. Babylon's never really gone away, that unrighteousness. If you were... um, with us last year in the evenings we preached through revelation and we saw there this figure of babylon turning up again as a picture a type of the world against god and john writes in revelation he writes to god's people come out of her my people babylon so that you won't share in her sins so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven And God has remembered her crimes and given back to her as she has given. It's exactly what Habakkuk has said. The Babylon's going to get back on itself. The world fixed against God will receive back on itself all of those things. John continues, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. He's talking about when Jesus returns. So Babylon has never really gone away. And this ultimate end, ultimate end, inscribed on the tablet, not the digital bus stop, much more reliable, there is an end. And it's when Jesus comes back. And how much do we need to hear that? Because Babylon has never really gone away, has it? All of those things, do you not recognize all of those things? When we read them through in in Habakkuk, extortion. We live in a world of extortion. Payday loans or giving mortgages to people that perhaps shouldn't have a mortgage, can't afford it, paying higher rates, crashing the economy. Materialism, a world that feathers its own nest, that wants you to buy more and more stuff that can be just there the next day for for goodness knows what cost. Oppression, maybe not cities built with bloodshed, Maybe business empires built from cheap labour. Exploitation. Making them drink to gaze on your nakedness. Perhaps a woman's drink being spiked. Sex trafficking. Networks. That might even involve celebrities and wealthy people. Idolatry. Maybe you don't see people covering a, a tree trunk with gold anymore but are we not making stuff in our own image and trusting it technology trusting it to save us maybe even AI we say to it be alive be sentient save us and we swap the living God for idolatry 
But there is an end. And it's when Jesus comes. Paul reminds us in the book of Acts. He says this, For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Do you want justice? God set a day. He'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That man is Jesus Christ. And he's given proof to this. How can we know? That's a big claim. Jesus Christ is going to come back. God set a day. Prove it. Paul says he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Has Jesus risen from the dead? Yes, he has. Are you doubtful that he's risen from the dead? Go and investigate it. Find out. That the proof is there, that this, there is an end which is coming. He's fixed a day. And so that's why um, back in Hebrews, when the writer is urging the church to, to persevere, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay, and my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Now the writer's just um, tweaked a, a, a word here because it could go either way. Originally it could be it or he, but he's made it very clear for us in the book of Hebrews in just a while, a while he who is coming, Hebrews 10, 37, will not delay. Martin Luther King famously said this. He, of course, campaigned for justice. And he knew this truth. Martin Luther King said, Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long. It may take a long time, but it is bent toward justice. And the only way he could say that, not through wishful thinking, not through humanity working out how to be just, working out human rights, the only way that that is possibly true is because of Jesus. And our world is crying out for justice, and our world would love to stand by Martin Luther King. They love that idea. You better watch what side of history you're on because at the end at the end of everything there will be justice. That's only possible because of Jesus Christ. So we're to be patiently steadfast in light of Babylon's end. And lastly, we're to be patiently steadfast because of God's glory. So there will be judgment for Babylon, who's bringing the judgment on Judah. Um, back here um, in, in the 7th century BC. So where does that leave us, though? Uh, if this, this is not a kind of Quentin Tarantino bloodbath where there's some injustice and wickedness on here and then there's going to be more here and it's just going to end and everybody dies, but at least they've got what they deserve. No, all of it is actually rooted in God's glory. The justice has got a higher end. Have a look at um, verse 14 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what God says is going to happen. And it's in distinction, did you notice, um, to the glory that Babylon wants for itself. Verse 16, you'll be filled with shame instead of glory. So it won't be your glory, the glory of Babylon, the glory of the world against God, which we think looks so amazing. That will go. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you and disgrace will cover your glory. See, God's glory will win. As the prophet Isaiah has also said of God, I am the Lord, says God, and I will give my glory to no other. No one else is getting the glory. I'm getting the glory, says God. And so our primary certainty is that God works primarily for his glory. Do you think God will relinquish his glory? Of course he won't. So therefore, do you think that this justice will come and we can be patiently steadfast? Yes, of course we can. We said last week that our horizon as we look out can see even further than than Habakkuk, this side of the cross. We see even further. Do you remember in John chapter 1 where John says to us, of Jesus, we've seen his glory. Do you remember that? We've seen a bit of it. We've seen a bit of his glory because the righteous live in in our waiting we live in our waiting by faithfulness but what about the end what about the end when it comes how are we actually going to live then we live now in our faithfulness but when the end comes how are we going to live well it's the same way by faithfulness knowing that God's glory brings justice John chapter 12 Jesus is about to go to the cross and, John, and Jesus says, now the hour has come. Now glorify your name. And God says, I, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God's glory is shown at the cross. So did you notice in Habakkuk, verse 14, the earth will be filled with, not with, filled with the glory. We might think about that in, in Psalm 19. Look at the, the amazing creation. Look at the stars. Look at the world. It's filled with God's glory. no. It's filled with the knowledge of God's glory. How do we know God's glory? The Bible tells us at the cross. Where what happens? Well, this cup from the Lord's right hand, this cup of wrath, goes to Jesus. And where he drinks it in our place that we might be found righteous. So that as we have faith in that, we're the righteous. A righteousness from God that is for faith, from faith, for faith. And so we live now by our faithfulness. And when it comes to the end, we will live by our faith also. So just as we finish... Our faith, when we want it to be resilient, it's not a theological position, faith. I have a faith. Or or it's not a a past performance. I was faithful at some point in the past, and I can rely on that. Faith is a minute-by-minute, spirit-powered decision. And Habakkuk here is, is giving us hope and a message that is 
certain and steadfast to help us in our journey through the pain clinic. We're halfway through. We've got one more next week. And it gets better and better. So can we be patiently steadfast? Well, has Jesus come? Yes, he has. Has he risen? And is the day appointed that Babylon will fall? Yes, it is. And so the righteous can live by our faithfulness. Let's pray that we would do that. Father God, thank you that you have called us to be righteous in you, in your Son. Thank you that you've called us to faith in you and your plans. When we don't know what's going on in the world, when we long for justice, when we long for Jesus to come back, thank you that you have set an end. And thank you that when that end comes, we can be found righteous through faith in him. So please keep us steadfast in our faithfulness now. Amen.